It's hard to believe that it was only about three weeks ago that life was going along pretty normally. Uh, you were working at work. Kids were going to school at school. If you wanted to go out to eat, you could go out to eat and actually sit somewhere. If you wanted to get toilet paper, you could find it places. Life was pretty much normal just a couple of weeks ago. But over the past couple of weeks, there's been quite the reversal and all of those things have changed now. And we've seen uh, big and small inconveniences and some pretty worrying things as well. And it's been a reminder that things can change. There can be a great reversal that happens very quickly. And so that's the theme today is rehearsal, reversal as we are talking about Palm Sunday because as we look at Jesus week, uh, the holy week that begins with Palm Sunday and ends with Easter, it was quite a re reversal. But throughout this whole experience, we have been in a series that uh, has developed over this time period and the theme has been that God is in control. And even though we are seeing a great reversal, so for some of you, you uh, not only are not working at your job, unfortunately some people are losing their jobs. Uh, everything is up in turmoil. You don't know what's happening with your business. Uh, kids are at home and schooling at home. The stock market has been a roller coaster ride and a lot more down than up. And just one thing after another has been thrown up into chaos. And in the same way, Jesus Week from being welcomed into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week with adoring crowds, and then at the end of the week, those same crowds crying, crucify him. It was quite the reversal. And you wonder in the midst of that, what's going on? And is really God in control, which is the thing that we have been emphasizing and that we've been affirming over these past couple of weeks. And now, we're being told to prepare for things to get worse, and in fact, far worse, before they get better. And so it would be understandable if we were to wonder, is God in control when things go south, when things go sideways in your life, when we experience these great reversals? But I think what you're going to find is the bottom line for today, that circumstances will change. Circumstances change, but God remains the same. So let's look at Jesus week, and we begin on that very first Palm Sunday. And this is what it says in John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. This was a time of the year, the Passover celebration, where Jerusalem was filled to overflowing with people who had come there to celebrate Passover. 
Jesus is now entering into the city and he is very well known and the people are gathering in order to welcome him there. And so they take palm branches. Did you ever wonder why they took palm branches? Well, palm branches and palm trees were very plentiful in the land of Israel. And so they became associated with the land of Israel. So when people were waving the palm branches, it would be very similar to us waving our flags. It was a show of patriotism and they were excited to welcome Jesus into the city. And so they're waving their palm branches, and then it goes on to say that they shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. The people of Israel were under Roman occupation. They were looking for their Messiah, their anointed king, who is going to come and, and kick out the Romans and take over. And they were excited because they thought maybe, just maybe, this Jesus was the person that they had been looking for. And so they welcome him with this great crowd and they're praising God and proclaiming blessings on him and hailing him as their king. And then, just a little less than a week later, Jesus has been betrayed and he is standing next to the governor of the province and the crowds have now turned against him. And this is from that part of the story. Pilate asked in Matthew 27, 22, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah, not Jesus the Christ, not Jesus the Messiah, the one that is called the Messiah. Like, now we're not so sure. Pilate asked the people, and they all, they all answered, crucify him, crucify him. They yelled for his death. Talk about a reversal. Talk about a reversal of fortunes. Welcomed as the king at the beginning of the week, and then shouted down to death at the end of the week. And then it would be one thing if it was just the crowds, but it's also Jesus' disciples as well. They, at the beginning, uh, are, uh, be, Jesus has called them aside, and he started explaining to them what's going to happen over the next couple of days. And they don't exactly understand what he's talking about, but they do have the idea that something big is going to happen and that he is going to go away because he's been saying, I have to leave you. And then the disciples, including Peter, say, no, 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 you are not, we're not going to let you out of our sight. We're going to stay with you. We are going to be with you through thick and thin. And then in uh, John chapter 13, Jesus replies, you can't go with me now. He's, he's on a journey. He is going to a place where they cannot follow. He's talking about his death. But he says, you will follow me later. In other words, your time is coming as well. Now, they don't understand that he's talking about his own death and exactly what was going to happen. They don't understand that he is foretelling their martyrdom. But afterwards, Peter says, but why can't I come now, Lord? I want to come now. I want to be with you. I'm going to stay with you through thick and thin. And he says, I'm ready to die for you. Uh, think about how, you know, if that were me, I would feel like, wow, you know, I've got close friends. I've got people who are going to be sticking with me through thick and thin. 
but we know the story, do we not? That at the, just a couple of days later, when they were in the garden and the soldiers come and Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested, it says in Matthew 26, 56, at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. So the crowds at the beginning of the week welcoming him, hail to the king. At the end of the week, they're saying, crucify him. At the beginning of the week, I'll follow you. Don't, we're not going to let you out of our sight, Jesus. I will go even to my death with you. And then they all deserted him and they all fled. And then I'm going to point you to one of the, I think, one of the saddest passages in all of the Gospels. It's actually at the beginning of the Gospel of John when Jesus was just beginning to draw crowds and his popularity was increasing. There's this editorial comment in John chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. But Jesus didn't trust them. He didn't trust the crowds. He didn't trust the people who were hailing him at that time because he knew all about people. He knew all about people. He knew that he couldn't entrust himself to them. He knew that they were changeable. He knew that their favor and their opinions could turn on a dime. He knew that they were very reversible. He didn't entrust himself to them. He didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. He knew what was in each person's heart. So the crowds reject him. The crowds turn on him. His disciples fled. And even from the start, he knew that he could not entrust himself to people because of human nature. He knew what was in their heart. Now, it's one thing to be rejected by public opinion. It's another thing to be rejected and uh, deserted by your friends. But even more painfully is the idea that maybe, just maybe, God has rejected you, that God has deserted you. And when you think about Jesus and his ministry starting out with a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, and God working miraculously, miraculously through him and uh, all of the wonderful things that Jesus did that drew those crowds in the beginning. And then during that holy week, things begin to go sideways and he is betrayed and he is in the garden begging his heavenly father if there's any way that that your purposes can be accomplished any way that the job that you sent me to do can happen without the suffering that's just about to come then let's do that instead and of course the, uh, he prays this multiple times, and each time it's very clear that the answer is that this is the only way that God the Father is going to offer up his son as the sacrifice, not for his own sins, not punishment for his wrongdoings, but for ours. And then Jesus is on the cross and feeling the weight of all of our transgressions that were laid upon him. 
And it says that about three in the afternoon, Jesus is on the cross and he cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, uh, hear the despair in the cry that he lets out because he has experienced all of these reversals over that time. But the end of the story has not been written yet. Yes, his circumstances change. Yes, our circumstances change, but God remains the same. The same God that stated his approval over Jesus, that sent his son to live and die among us, his goodness, his purpose has never changed. And even in the midst of all of the reversals that Jesus experienced that week, he knew that while his circumstances changed, God, his Father, remained the same. And in that cry, which to the, the listening ears would have sounded like a cry of complete despair and hopelessness, there is still a seed of hope. As many of you will know, that cry that Jesus made from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is not just a cry of despair and sorrow from the cross. It is also the title, the beginning words of Psalm 22. And throughout history, many people have realized that and recognized that Jesus is referring back to this psalm, which amazingly was written hundreds of years before Jesus was on the cross. And I want to read it to you because Jesus is pointing us to this passage of scripture. So let's see what it says. Psalm 22 starts out like this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. He's discouraged. He's been calling out to God, but with no answer. Yet, contrast, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted you and you rescued them. In other words, I know the stories. I can look back and, and see how you've been faithful and when people called out to you, they were rescued. But I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Do not stay far from me, for trouble is near, and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water. 
and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Is it no wonder that throughout history as Jesus has pointed to this psalm and you can see all of the parallels from his experience that day. It's, it's almost screaming to those who will listen, to those who will look and read that in the midst of this reversal, God is still in control, that his purposes are being accomplished in the midst of this suffering. And then there's this reversal in the psalm. He's been talking about how he's been crying out. The psalmist is saying, I know the stories, how you rescued others. Won't you please rescue me? But instead, everyone has turned against me. But then there is this contrast. We don't know exactly what happened, but we see a very strong contrast. In verse 22, he begins, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He has been alone and rejected and persecuted, and now he's with his brothers and sisters. He's in the assembly. He's praising God. A deliverance, a reversal has happened. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For why? He has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He's not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. Our circumstances have changed, but our God remains the same. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. Circumstances have changed. People are unreliable. The crowds have turned against him. But God, his heavenly Father, has been with him, is accomplishing his purpose through him, and he remains the same. And so we can count on that. We can trust him when our circumstances are changing. We can trust him when we can't foresee the future. We can lean on him when the is being pulled out from under us. He remains the same in the highlands, at the top of the mountain, and in the heartache when we're suffering and in pain and alone. Circumstances change, but our God remains the same. So we need to know that when our circumstances change, that God remains the same. And here's some things about God that we need to remember that are constant. And the first is that he is sovereign. The, the same God who planned everything that happened to Jesus and worked it out so that 
the whole world could be blessed, so that the whole world could receive forgiveness. When you say yes to Jesus and when you turn your life over to him, he is going to do the same kind of thing with you. And our circumstances will lie to us. Our feelings are fickle. Our understanding sometimes fails us. But even though all of those things are true, God remains the same. He is sovereign. He is in control. And he is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We also need to know that God is powerful. He is more powerful than any circumstance any uh, situation that you are going to face. The same power, the scriptures say, that raised Jesus from the dead is living and residing in us, his followers. If the power is there to raise the dead to life, then the power is there to get you through whatever you are facing or are going to face. And then lastly, and perhaps most importantly, you need to know that God is good. And how do we know this? We know this because he was willing to sacrifice his son for us. He was willing to lay down his life, the life of Jesus, his son, for our benefit and for our good. And as the scriptures say, if he's not going to hold back his own son, how will he not also give us every good thing. If he's gonna give you a gift, it's going to be a good gift because it comes from his good heart because he is a good God. But there's one last reversal that we need to talk about and that's the reversal of repentance because all of these good things are true but they are applicable only to those who say yes to Jesus, who surrender their lives to him. And if you don't know where you stand, then now is the time to settle that once and for all and to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to his forgiveness, to take what Jesus did on the cross and while we know he died for the sins of the whole world, we're now gonna say yes to him and we're gonna say, I want that to count for me. I want my sins to be included among those that were paid for on the cross of Christ. I want to say yes to Jesus for his leadership and lordship in my life. I want him to be the one that calls the shots for me because if he's sovereign and powerful and good, I want him to be the one that is leading my life. I want to surrender to him. Ultimately, we all have to answer this question that Pilate asked. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? What shall I do? What are you going to do with Jesus? Here's my encouragement. There's no better time than right now to say yes to Jesus, yes to his forgiveness, yes to his leadership, yes to his rule and reign in your life, and to let him guide you through the highlands and the heartaches, for him to be the one who is writing a new end to your story. And so I'll encourage you, if you are watching on our online platform, the church online platform, that you can uh, click that button that is, says raise your hand. If you wanna commit your life to Christ, you're surrendering your life to him. If you are watching on some other platform at some other time, then you can simply text yes, the word yes, to our church number, 603-225-2550. 
and we'll be able to celebrate you, but also to hopefully encourage and resource you as you begin your walk with Jesus. Here's what we know. Our circumstances are going to change. We are unable to predict what's going to happen next. Here's what we are able to know, though, that God is the same. He's sovereign, he's powerful, he's good, and he is going to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose because that is his promise. That is who he is, we can count on that. On that, we know that God is in control.